Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live. Because you shouldn't have to change teams, even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. This episode of Red Inca, we talk about fast bowling and accuracy, and we see a lot more of both right now. So I thought I'd get someone in who was at least good at one and probably wished he was slightly better at the other. Steve Harmison, and now talk nonsense for talk sport. Fast bowlers have just become a lot more accurate while still becoming faster. We have 90 mile an hour bowlers now with knuckleballs and wobble seams. It's incredible. So this episode, we talk about biomechanics, actions, preparation, short versus tall, white balls, and we very, very briefly mention bowling to second slip. Mate, it was only after I asked you onto this podcast, I realized it sounded like I was trolling you a little bit when I wanted you to talk about very accurate, very fast bowlers. And then I thought, he thinks I'm going to talk about the ball to second slip. But when it, that's it. That's the last mention of that particular ball. <laughs> but you and I have been talking about this a lot, a little bit for talk sport, and then sometimes just chatting around the room as well, is that really fast bowlers, of which there's only ever been a handful at, at one time, they used to basically sprayed everywhere. Like if you look at Jeff Thompson, it's like the ball could go anywhere. Half of his most famous balls are flying down the leg side and nowhere near anyone. Sean Tate, Shaw Bakhtar and those sorts of guys. It's incredible now how much different fast bowling is. And Pat Cummins is the one I notice at the moment. We've never had someone as fast as Pat Cummins, but also as accurate as Pat Cummins. And you've got a theory on this. Lead me in. Tell me what your theory is. Well, I just look at the way fast bowling is at, at this moment in time and the practice that they go in and the way the game's changed. When you say there's a lot more stats on balls in areas, different things from like batting and you know, range hitting and everything like that, I think bowling does work that. And I think the straight lines that they now use and the angles that the, the bowlers use and the practice that they've got and the facilities, not facilities, but the, the people that work with them, the analytic side of the way they work, attacking the crease in certain parts where they, they come from at the top of their mark, where they go straight through the line. The game hasn't changed, I don't think. I just think the, the actual dynamics of bowling in a straight line is more evident than anything else for the simple fact is there's a lot more you can see now compared to what it was maybe 15, 20 years ago. And 
just for an example, I remember having a conversation bowling around the wicket from Duncan Fletcher, and a lot of people that bowled around the wicket, right arm bowlers around the wicket, you would hide behind the umpire, and then you pop out from the umpire and pop back in. Well, that's dynamics working against each other. And I remember Duncan Fletcher, who I didn't appreciate Duncan until after I'd finished playing for him. But it was like, no, if you start on the sort of, if you can imagine the side, you know, you've got the, the sideline. If you start just outside there and you start and run straight towards off stump, there's a line that goes all the way to off stump. There's less can go wrong. And if your action is perfectly upright, and if your follow through is perfectly upright and your head position is going down towards the ball, there's less can go wrong. And trying to make it as simple as possible. And I think what you've got with that, you see something like Jimmy Anderson, just slight little variations of where he starts his run-up to where he lands on the crease. And then if he moves a little bit wider, where he starts his run-up that little bit wider. But it's not a case of just starting all the way back there. It's the last sort of three or four strides where you go through the crease. That's where you're attacking and you're in a straight line. It's the same as batting. A lot of people talk about Steve Smith and what a horrendous technique he's got in that. But he hasn't. He's got a perfect technique because when he picks the bat up, it might go legs offside, it might go legs side. But when it comes through the line of the ball, the last two or three parts to the point of contact, it's actually coming down perfectly straight for the area he wants to hit it in. So it might be coming down from second slip. But if it's coming down from second slip, it's because he's trying to hit the ball through mid-wicket. He's not like trying to hit it across the energy of the ball so you, you'll get perfect timing. So for me, it's a simple way to explain. Well, it's not a simple way to explain because I've explained it horribly <laughs> wrong in a long way. But at the end of the day, if you can keep bowling in a straight line, simple, by starting in a straight line, going through the crease in a straight line, and in an action that can hold up perfectly well. And we're talking about top-class bowlers here. We're not talking mm. about young kids. This is... Guys like you talk about Pat Cummins, you talk about the likes of Mark Wood, Jofra Archer. Jofra Archer is a simple one. You know, Jofra Archer doesn't alter his run up too much. He literally starts from the same spot, lands in the same spot. His ability to keep his front arm straight, he's bowling action all the way through, finishes off. And the energy he's got behind the ball doesn't mean he has to alter and change. He looks for subtle variations off the pitch because he bowls straight. Glenn McGraw was a bit like that. McGraw bowled not stump to stump, but he bowled fractionally outside off stump because mechanically he went up straight, come down straight, and he landed in the same spot. And he basically said, well, if anything's going to happen off the pitch, the ball's in an area where it's going to make the batsman play. So Archer's a bit like that, but at a faster pace. Mentioning about the likes of Brett Lee and myself, Shoaib Akhtar, bowlers like that, we probably didn't have the technology side to back up what they've got now. Would it have made us more accurate bowlers? Possibly. The game's changed. You might have to be one-day cricket. Makes you would make you more accurate as a bowler. But I was I was sometimes thought you know, the wayward bowlers were just as effective because I always believed no matter what game, situation or pitch I was playing on, if I had a weak keeper, two slips and a gully, even if I sprayed it, I'd bowled very, very good balls and I would get good players out. And I think that, for me, was just as effective than somebody who was meticulous, McGraw, bowling line in length and make the batsman just block and block and leave and block and leave. Sometimes, you know, I remember Shane Warren talk about, I don't mind people hitting me for four because the more confident they get, I've got an absolute ripper in me. I've got a great ball in me, which will get somebody out who thinks he can come at me because he's getting confidence. So... Fast bowling, there's more than one way it's going to cut for me in the fast bowling department. There's, nobody's really the same. 
but the way the game's changed from a fast bowling point of view, it had to change because the batsman has changed. And I think the bowlers are now gone in cycles. The bowlers were behind the line when it came to one day cricket, when it first came around, then they think they came back into the game. And then now with a few restrictions with, you know, the size of the boundaries, it's changed a little bit more in favour of the bat. But I actually think now the game's changing where the accurate fast bowlers are now just seeing the IPL auction. They are so much more better in the game. And if you've got one, you've got half a chance of doing what England did in the 30-20 in India. There's so many things there. So the biomechanics makes sense. So we know more about fast bowling. We can run people through a computer simulator and all those sorts of things now. And then you match that up with good coaches, like as you said, Duncan Fletcher, to be able to say, look, run in a straight line, attack goes through the crease. That makes sense. The one that I've never heard before, I haven't heard talked about a lot, is that white ball cricket has changed. So you started, you played a lot of white ball cricket. You were there for the start of T20, played one day as for England. But there's a big difference between that and Pat Cummins being, what was Pat Cummins, 16 or 17 when he first started playing representative cricket for New South Wales and, and coming through the system. He was a T20 player almost straight away. For him, he would have seen T20 cricket as almost as important as test cricket. You would never have thought that way. <laughs> and so there seems to be that these newer guys coming through, and Nokia is someone that you and I have both seen bowl a fair bit as well. Another guy, very, very fast, but very, very accurate. How much do you think that is linked to the fact that you can't bowl as many poor balls with a white ball? You can't bowl many poor balls, but I think there's more clarity on the game now, as in in one-day cricket. We've seen the, the game when Owen Morgan had, the analyst had the you know, the numbers and you know, the matchups that everybody talks about. Everything seems to be mapped out for you now. You bowl this ball at that time, you bowl that ball at that time. So there's a lot more clarity of thought. And as a bowler, if you've got clarity of thought, you've got a great chance of succeeding. It's when there's a little bit of indifference in what you're thinking. There's a little bit of, I'm not sure what I'm going to bowl here. It's a little bit of, this batsman's coming at me. I might change my plan here. Prime example was in the 30-20, was Mark Wood. Mark Wood bowled 3.3, unbelievable overs, because all he did was right and bowl as fast as I can into this part of the pitch, this sort of area. And it doesn't matter what you do, I'm fast enough to really put you on the back foot. And the more he did that, the more confidence he got and the more he nailed it because this was clarity of thought, bang. All of a sudden, Virat Kohli comes down a wicket, catches one off him, then all of a sudden that ball in that area is not working anymore. What do I do now? And as he's running in, he's probably thinking, do I go full? Do I stay short? Do I do All this goes to the mind. All of a sudden, he's gone for the Yorker, not quite got there. Verrett Cole, he's hit him over his head for six. All of a sudden, he's now going back to his mark thinking, right, I can't ball a fuck of a length ball because he's pulling me for six. I can't ball a full ball because he's check driving me for six. What do I do now? And then the next ball went for four as well. And that's the difference between a bowler with clarity of thought and somebody who hasn't. And I think that's what's changed in the game for me because the game is mapped out for you. And because it's mapped out for you, you start grooving your action in such a way where it is becoming easier just to bang out a length. But you've got to have pace. And the game has changed in such a way where we joked on the radio when Chris Jordan came on straight after Joffre Archer and Mark Wood. And it was like, this is a different wicket. This is a different ball. This is a different bowler. And he was bowling four, possibly five mile an hour slower than Mark Wood. He was bowling 86, 87 mile an hour. And that's the difference between top level out and out quick bowlers and what they look at. But what they do is they hit an area because that's what they're being told to do. So then they know two days leading into the game, I've got 24 balls to hit. I'm bowling back of a length, I'm bowling Yorker, I'm bowling 
a slower ball. The slower ball is something that comes with instinct, I think. You practice it, but you put it in your locket and you go. And I think what they do now is to practice so much on hitting these two lengths in a game. And because of that, I think that's why the bowlers have gone to a whole new level. But Pierce is huge because if you don't quite nail it, the bat, you know, it's... It's it's massive in the game. Now, they're, they're huge, big bats, and now small boundaries, and you get punished. And I think that's where I see the game evolving to. Teams are going to have people like Chris Jordan, a bit like Tom Curran bowling. They're going to pick them in a the team. From I'm just talking from an England point of view. They're going to pick them in a the team to bowl two or three overs at a death. But if you bowl at the start, you're not in the game. And I think that's where the game's going to change. Picking five bowlers now, you're picking five bowlers for certain slots. And I think... That makes bowlers better because they've got clarity of thought and know the job and this is what they're going to go out and do. Where possibly 15, 20 years ago, when the 2021st came into it, it was all about just bowling your 10 overs, trying to keep you down to five and a half and over. And if you bowl 10 overs for 55 in a 50 over international between 2000 and 2010, you did well. That was your job. Where now it's not 10 overs anymore. It's six balls of this over has to be nailed on. Six balls of that over has to be nailed on. And I think because of that, mentally, you're a different bowler. And I think the clarity of thought is, is huge in the game. And it helps. It's really interesting. I was, I was thinking about Mark Wood because obviously you've had a lot to do with him from uh, him coming up from your area. And I'd say he's a fundamentally more accurate fast bowler than you were. Obviously, he's a different yeah. height as well, which helps. And part of your problem was, you know, the more name awkward problem where you guys are fast and tall. So a lot of things can go wrong with that. But... Mark Wood, I was thinking of someone like maybe Nancy Haywood, like a similar kind of pace, a similar kind of energy off the wicket. Nancy Haywood, I remember I worked with his wicketkeeper at uh, Scotland, Grant Morgan, who kept with him domestically. And he said he spent most of his time diving down leg side trying to stop the ball. You just don't see that from Mark Wood. And that huge change in the game is so interesting. And the clarity of thought, the white ball, the biomechanics, all these things sort of play in. But the other thing is just the skills. Joffre Archer bowls a knuckleball, and I think it was in the second T20, Stuart Broad was on air talking about how hard they were. Now, Stuart Broad can bowl a leg cutter and is a very highly skillful bowler. To think that someone who can bowl at 90, and I think Joffre's got up to, what, 95 miles an hour? Yeah. Can also bowl a knuckleball. I know, again, you are very famous for one particular solo ball, but you're also very famous for saying that you have no idea how Michael Clark missed that mm. and you weren't very good at solo balls. The little skills that Joffre Archer and Jasper Boomer is another one have, and you can put Pat Cummins' wobble seam into that as well. All of those things, those are the sorts of things that guys like Muhammad Asif and Stuart Clark and, you know, slower bowlers used to do. And now suddenly even the fast guys can come in at 90 miles an hour and bowl a knuckleball. The way that people are preparing and training has just completely changed from your era, hasn't it? Absolutely. It, literally, training in our era was you bowl a few bouncers, a few Yorkers, bowl in the middle for a bit, tried slow balls in the nets. But it wasn't, like I said, it was it was more of a longer process. It was you've got 10 overs for under 60 and you've done your job, where now it's not like that. It's literally every ball counts and matters because of... So don't get me wrong, during that time, there was a lot of bowlers trying a lot of different things. There was bowlers had to do that because it didn't have the skill sets or the pierce that, that some of the other bowlers did. If you bowl fast, you listen to Chuji the day talking on the 30-20 international. He was like, well, forget slower balls, forget trying to change your pierce. If you bowl 90 mile an hour, bowl 90 mile an hour. Let's see some licks. Let's see some pierce, man. And that's what Chuji is saying because that's what we were brought up on. You're in the team to bowl fast. So bowl fast. We don't want you to bowl any slower than 90 mile an hour because we've got other bowlers can do that. You know, the likes of Alex Wolf. that was, I can remember during my time, you know, John Lewis, 
Jimmy Kirtley. It was like, well, they're in the team to bowl Yorkers. They're in the team to bowl like medium pace. You're in the team to bowl fast. So bowl fast for 10 overs. And that's where the game's changed because you talk about all these skills that bowlers have got. Bowling slow balls, you have to be not only comfortable, it's got to come natural to you. I bowled a split-fingered slower ball and I bowled a, an off-cutter because my action was more suited to when the arms and legs were going. When it came over, it became natural. For me, because I lost my wrist a lot, for me to try and bowl a back-of-the-hand slower ball was virtually impossible because I wouldn't be able to get my wrist round in time. And if I did lose my wrist, it wouldn't come out. It would just go straight up in the air. So I tried all these things and the more comfortable ones with the off-cutting slower ball, the off-spinning off and the split finger. And I think it just comes down to what's natural to individuals. You know, you watch someone like Glenn McGrath who bowled a, a split-fingered slower ball, but you could, and he, you could see he was trying that knuckleball, but it was, ended up being a split-fingered ball. But it was just a little bit slower, but not a massive amount slower. Mm. These guys now are bowling them five, eight mile an hour slower than what their normal ball is, which is just enough to catch a batsman out. Because if you go even slower than that, we've seen a couple of times in the T20 series against India and England so far, that if you bowl it really slow, you don't get it quite right. It becomes a free hit because they're just sitting in a pitch and the batsman's gone and then he, uh-oh, I'm going again and then bang. So it comes back to preparation. No matter what you talk about, Jared, when you talk about fast bowling, it comes back to preparation and it comes back to you know, working the game out and it comes back to the clarity before you go on a pitch that you know your skills. You can teach kids all of the stuff in the world, but if they don't practice it and they don't really feel comfortable doing it, then don't encourage them to do it because all it does is bowling's confidence, bowling's feel, bowling's natural and the most natural you can make bowling, the easier it becomes. And all of a sudden, you're fighting against yourself. Oh, my coach is telling me to bowl slower balls. I'm not really comfortable bowling slower balls. By the time you've bowled it, it doesn't go anywhere near where you want to go. And all of a sudden, you've gone for a boundary. And then your shoulders are slumped, pressure's on, and I've got to go back and do it again. So yeah, you've got to have a clear mind and a clear thought process of what you're doing. And you've got to be able to nail it. Because if you don't, then don't bowl it. I wasn't comfortable bowling a slow ball. So I didn't bowl them because I didn't really feel comfortable doing them. I think when you talk about all that, that's the one thing I've noticed in the 10 years or whatever, 14 years I've been covering cricket, is the way that the nets have changed. Mm. So you, you could see that I reckon about 2013, 2014, a couple of teams worked out that bowling around the wicket to left-handers when you're a fast bowler is a better way of doing it. But the problem was that it took about another three or four years to happen because bowlers needed to get used to it. Yeah. I mean, I remember one of the guys that I worked with, I was saying to him, look, you're getting smashed by left-handers every game. Why don't you bowl around the wicket? And he's like, oh, I don't know how. And I was like, mate, we've got training facilities. Just talk to the coach, talk to the bowling coach, and we'll do it. And I think that's the biggest difference now is just, it's not that you guys weren't thinking of that sort of stuff. It's just there wasn't that sort of support network. I mean, here's my question for you. Did anyone ever check how accurate your bowling was? Was there any like system that they had in place? There was no system you had in place. It was you get to your 10 overs and that's it. It's not broke down any more than that. And I think you, know, you talk about that is the difference that comes. It was probably in my generation, my time, the one person that when it comes to practice who was ahead of his time and he was the genius and that was Peterson. Peterson wouldn't face a ball in the net that he wasn't going to face in the middle. Kevin wouldn't face new balls in the net. No chance. He would face them at the end of a session he was so single-minded and driven that he was going to face. There was one time in Perth where we didn't have any decent balls, so we ended up bowling with new balls. 
and he went berserk, absolutely mental that he wasn't facing them. And then he started trying to slug them out of the net. So we ended up just bowling bounces at him. And it was the biggest car crash <laughs> session you've ever seen. Hoggard bowled a bouncer, Lewis bowled a bouncer. So I thought, I've got to go in, I'm sticking with me bowlers, bowl a bouncer. We bowled seven bouncers at Kevin in a row because he was trying to slug these. He didn't want to face the new balls and he tried to slug them everywhere. And what he said afterwards was the, the point that I'm, I'm going to try and make. And in the end, I was like peacemaker because Hoggard and Peterson had a little bit of an issue. And I said, look, Kev, if you bat properly, we'll bowl properly. But if, if you're going to bat like an idiot, or not an idiot, but if you're, going to, you're not bowling, you're just trying to slug it. It's our preparation as well. So we went back to old balls. And at the end, he came out and he was like, I don't face new balls in the nets. I don't face new balls in the game. I'll face new balls when I'm 79 out and I'm facing a second new ball. Don't face new balls in the nets. This is my preparation. You want to bowl with new balls? That's the middle. And it was like, yes, he's right. We don't bowl at Kevin Peterson with brand new balls because he bats at number five. If you want to bowl with a new ball, we are new ball bowlers. We do our preparation out in the middle. Then get somebody else to bowl in the net at Kevin Peterson. And I think that was when, probably one of the first times, and that was 2006-07 tour, one of the first times it really hit home that a net session isn't just about, well, you bat for 20 minutes, we bowl for 20 minutes, and then we might bowl a few in the middle, you might have a few throwdowns, and off you go. The net session is just an extended arm of what the game situation is. You know, you are going to bowl at him. These are your four overs. These are your match overs. You nail it. And there's no practice anymore. That's the key. There's no practice anymore. And I think that is something that has evolved into where the game is at this minute in time. Fast bowlers, they don't bowl dead overs anymore. Mm. Um, we probably bowled more dead overs than we did match overs because you were ticking boxes. Chudes talked and Goffey talked about first time they went on tour. What was it? Graham Dilly, Graham Gooch a coach and a physio, that was it. Now you've got backroom staff like you've not believed who have got so much information going into that session that you are not going to take high catches if you're a guy that, that feels in the ring. All you're going to get bombarded with are catches from in the ring. And I think the fast bowling, fast bowling is exactly the same. You bowl your practice overs exactly the same as you bowl your match overs. And then you, as Fletcher would say, you're training your brain to be switched on from literally ball one, as opposed to how many times you've seen a fast bowler, first ball of a session, would have dribbled down leg side or dribbled down the offside or be a, a slow bouncer because they're just trying to get themselves, mm. trying to get the body moving. Don't happen anymore. It is literally nailed on. And that's because of the preparation and the practice. Thinking about this too, there are still fast bowlers out there who are not as accurate. So for me, I think Billy Stanlake should be the best bowler in the world in that he's, I don't know, what, six foot eight, six foot nine. He's strong and he can bowl over 90 miles an hour. But the reason that Billy Stanlake hasn't made a career is because the batsmen have evolved and they will pick off his bad balls in a way now. I would think that if you had come through just even a generation later, your bowling would probably be a lot more like Mornay Morkel's mm. where you'd still be as dangerous, but you'd be putting the ball just in a spot. And it's not like Mornay Morkel was a devastatingly accurate bowler, but he put the ball in a spot more often. But it's funny because you talked about the inconsistencies early on where you were saying that, you know, and you've said this a lot before, that that's when not always knowing where you're going to bowl, it helps. The only bowler, modern day bowler I can think of, who bowls very, very quickly and batsmen are a little bit 
unsure where the ball's going to be. He's probably Mitchell Stark. Yeah. And his left arm, which is a bit different, and he's also, what, six foot six, six foot seven as well, which mm. helps. But there really isn't that many guys left. There's a lot of guys out there like, you know, Billy Stanley and was it Aaron Sumner, the young Tasmanian kid, I think, as well. There's a few guys out there that have that pace, but they're not coming through in the way that Nancy Haywood did or you did or Devin Malcolm or Shoa or Sean Tate did. You really have to be very accurate now. Is that just because batsmen have been on ball machines and there are more quick bowlers around now than there was 20 years ago, so people are just more used to it, do you think? I think a lot of batsmen now feel as though the fast bowlers to score. They feel as though that this is that can score. Somebody like myself, Monet Morkel, you talk about Billy Stanley, a batsman will set himself up and think, well, stumps aren't in the game here. I can hit the ball straight back past them because the ball on the stumps is not going to have a great deal on it because a bowler will float that towards yeah. the stump, so I can hit that straight back past them. Not a problem. My hand-eye coordination, not foot movement, can see the ball, which is just looped at them, floated at them, and they'll take the stumps out of the equation and they'll say, right, anything after that, it's a free hit. Oof. So as a bowler, your margin for errors go, as a tall bowler, gets a little bit shorter, gets a little bit smaller. What you find with tall bowlers is, is a lot more can go wrong for the simple fact is, and it's just fractions. I look at somebody like Mark Wood, Jofra Archer, even a Pat Cummins, very tight in their actions. Mm. So their gather is very, very tight. It's very compact. They go up. They don't go right up in the air like I did with both arms. Stanley, he's tall. He goes up in the air. Morning Markle, both arms go up in the air. There's a lot more can go wrong because there's a lot more moving parts. I see bowlers now have less moving parts. You look at somebody like Jasper Boomerah, where you think, well, actually, there is a lot of moving parts because he sort of shuffles in and then his arm goes out and then it comes back. But actually, there's not a great deal of moving parts when he's actually going into his gather. His arm goes out towards where the umpire would be, but then he comes back. And as he comes back and goes up, there's very little moves off the straight. Everything goes up and down. So he's a, Bummer is a little bit like an optical illusion. He goes out before he gets to the business area and then he comes back in. Malinga was similar because his arm went out. Yes, it stared out, but it didn't move. It was very straight. And it was you know, a lot of people say, oh, Malinga, he throws it. He doesn't. He's actually got the probably the most, he's got the straightest bowling action you'd ever have. It's just <laughs> he comes from a different area. But a lot of tall, gangly, fast bowlers. Stuart Broad was similar when he first came on the scene. Then he changed it. He's gathered, gone from sort of throwing his arm up a little bit to then gathering in tight. He changed his cock wrist there and his approach at the, at the time. And I think that helped him no end with his, with his accuracy. But the likes of myself and Shoaib, there was a lot of arms up in the air and coming down and coming through. There's a lot more can go wrong. But your tall gangly bowlers just have to be slightly off. And they're slightly off at the stumps. And because of the bounce, the wicket keeper is an extra two or three yards back. It looks even worse as mm. it goes past. And I worked out very, very quickly early in my career that once the ball goes past the batsman, I switch off. I'm not bothered. If it goes down leg side and the keeper's diving full stretch, I'm not bothered. It's where it goes. I've, I had a, a thing in my mind. I could switch that off and say, well, if it's going past the batsman at this point, I'm happy. If it's miles down leg side at the batsman, then I'm in trouble. But if it just goes past the batsman, and a lot of it was, especially left-handers, I've got a lot of left-handers caught down leg side, caught sort of leg slip or caught behind down leg side, just gloving it. Once it got to like Philip Mustard or Alex Stewart when I first came on the scene or Garrett Jones and beyond, if they're diving full straight down leg side, it's not because it was an inaccurate ball. It's just that the, the height and the, the bounce that you know the big tall bowlers get, it exaggerates by the time it gets to the wicketkeeper. 
that's the wicketkeeper's job, unfortunately. He's got to try and stop the ball. He's got to try and catch the ball. And I feel as though that was something, a strength of mine, I could switch that off because that could damage a, a young bowler thinking, oh, that looked awful down leg side. That looked <laughs> awful down leg side. But actually, it's not. It's where the ball. So I would, I would bowl a ball that would sort of swing back into the left-handed batsman, just sort of tickle Missy's ribcage. But by the time the wicketkeeper sort of took two steps his right and took it above his head because of the ball bounced, it looked as though it was a mile down leg side, but actually it wasn't because I could see the bats in the white of his eyes thinking, oh, I don't really fancy that. And I think that is what a tall bowler does. Morning Walker was exactly the same. If Morning Walker bowled a rib tickler that just missed the right-handed batsman's rib cage area or sort of glove area, by the time it got to Mark Boucher down leg side, it looked awful, yeah. but actually it wasn't. So it's, again, another optical illusion that you can have with fast bowlers. A Goffey or a Mark Wood or a Simon Jones, if they just missed leg stump, well, the keeper took it, not a problem. No, it didn't look as bad. And Goffey's another one. Goffey was a, another one like the likes of Mark Wood and, and Simon Jones. You know, very little could go wrong with their action. They ran relatively straight. Goffey's front arm, he threw it at the batsman. And he was all bustled, everything in there, where mm. there's a little bit more can go wrong with the more languid bowlers and the longer, the taller bowlers. I actually felt when, you know, and I keep saying this to Mark, the faster you bowl, the more accurate you'll get because there's less can go wrong. The minute you start slowing down, the minute you start doubting yourself, the minute you don't go through the crease quickly, is the minute that little things can come in, your timings go wrong. And the timing is huge when you're trying to bowl reaction. So I think that is another fundamental change. So I haven't been able to talk to Sean Pollock about this, but I'm pretty sure that when Sean Pollock played with Malcolm Marshall back in the 90s, I suppose, Malcolm Marshall said, when you want to be more accurate, you pull back your pace a little bit. Mm. But one thing I've noticed with, and you could say this about Rabada, you could say this about, well, Nokia, Pat Cummins is, I think, the most obvious example. It seems to me like bowlers just aren't pulling back their pace anymore. They continue to go through, and a lot of that has to be fitness, obviously, the biomechanics sort of stuff that you're talking about, about running through and, and all that sort of stuff. But fundamentally now, I don't think you'll get bowlers like Sean Pollock or Glenn McGrath, who after a couple of years just completely pull back their pace anymore. I think people are going to keep their pace because we now, and we saw that T20 that you keep talking about, the third T20 the other night, we just see now that if you can bowl anywhere near accurate at 90 miles an hour consistently, you are putting so much pressure on the batsman. And before, there were little things that could go wrong. As you said, you know, maybe the tall bowler bowls the short one down the leg side and you could help it on its way or dragging short and wide and all those sorts of things. All that sort of stuff, every sort of couple of years seems to be disappearing. And now guys are like, I can bowl consistently at 90 miles an hour at the top of off stump. Now, I know Pat Cummins is an absolute freak, but it seems to me that that is where bowling is going to go. People bowling as fast as possible and as accurate as possible. And I can tell you from baseball, that's kind of what happened in baseball, that you had the combination of the skill guys with the pace. And I think that might happen with cricket now that we know a little bit more about preparation and everything else. Am I mad, Harmy, or do you think that is the direction we're going? You're right when it comes down. It comes down to the fast bowlers bowling more faster balls that are more purposeful in a way which is preparation. And when you talk about Rain and your Pearson and your, the Sean Pollocks and the Glenn McGrath, the reason why they were that good, because they were just good. They were fantastic bowlers on any given surface that could land the ball in such a place. It was so mechanical. You're talking great to the game here. I think we will see another Glenn McGrath, Sean Pollock, because there will be a great bowler. Yeah, Pat Cummins might rein it back in when he's in his latter time. But by then, I don't see him playing one-day cricket. I think yeah. playing one-day cricket with a white ball, it's everything you've got. And I think what comes with it, 
one of my big examples was someone like Stephen Finn. And I'd just come out of the game when Finn had a little, these little bit issues. And I could see it because I could see it myself. I could see Stephen Harmson and Stephen Finn. And I was like, oh, he's not wanting to let go of the ball. He's not wanting to bowl the ball for all exactly what we've just been saying is that he's got no confidence and his match and probably his preparation overs weren't his match overs. And it took me till I was finished till I probably realised this. But I also realised that my first ever captain was David Boone. And there was a lot of times I would be looking at slip and thinking, is he awake in there? Is he going to take me off in a minute? <laughs> he rolled me nine, 10, 11 over spells. ECB were mental, absolutely berserk. I learned very early how to bowl over after over after over. I think my second full season as an 18 year old, I bowled 600 overs. I was an unhappy at the time. ECB were mental and he wasn't bothered. And I remember him telling me, basically we had a photo court start of the season in our white kit, blue kit, but a one-day kit, and he just said, take your blue kit off, son. And he said, give it to, give the coach. He says, because you'll not need that. You're playing 16 first-class matches. I never bowled a white ball for two years when I was a professional cricketer. And it was only because in the game I did bowl a white ball in, I had to borrow somebody else's kit because we literally, I think we went to Somerset with 12 men and somebody got injured and I had to play. And, and it was just, he just learned me how to bowl lots of overs and, and it was done a different way and I felt as though I could bowl and bowl and bowl and I got going and I always felt as though I needed to keep bowling to the point where I was nearly injured to keep my rhythm if I had three or four days off it took me a couple of days to get my action right and go straight again and I felt that was somewhere like Finn who probably was getting locked after he was missing games here he was doing that and I think the tall bowlers need to keep bowling they need a rhythm and the way it going and I think what we're finding at this minute in time and I've said it all along that the more you bowl the more your action becomes stronger the bowling muscles become supple and they become harder and less can go wrong once you've over that probably three or four week period if you get through that three or four week period coming back from an injury and you are bowling properly and you're nailing it and you're nailing it and you're nailing it. If you keep going at it, you keep bowling every sort of two or three days, then there's very little for me that can go wrong and get injured. Bowling is such a, a freak thing to do. You could get injured at any time because who in their right mind tells you to run as fast as you can, throw yourself in the air and hurl your body as fast as you can through a crease. When they say you know, eight times your body weight goes through your front leg and then go back and do it again and again and again. As batsmen would say, we are freaks of nature. We are, and that's just it. But I think the reason why the likes of Mark Wood's not getting as many injuries as he is now compared to what he was four years ago, the reason why Pat Cummins is the best bowler, for me, this is the biggest example. The reason why Pat Cummins is the best bowler in the world and the fastest bowler in the world and the most devastating bowler in the world and not the Pat Cummins from four or five years ago is because when Pat Cummins is bowling balls in practice, it's very similar to what he is in a game. And what I mean by that is the minute he goes back to 20 years ago, Steve Harmison trying to sort of get through 20 minutes in the nets at 70% of it, and then you have to fire up and go at, at 100% in a game, then I think that's the difference. Now they're bowling meaningful balls in practice which means clarity of thought in their mind, but it's also keeping their body at such a, a level that their bowling muscles aren't... You get a new pair of trainers and the, the soles of the trainers after a while just sort of go down and they go down, they go down, then your feet start hurting, your knees start hurting, and your hips start hurting. This is... You're not giving it a chance to do that. But your bowling muscles, your body is staying the same throughout and staying consistent. And for me, I think that is one of the biggest reasons why Pat Cummins is still playing now compared to what he was. What, there was a seven-year gap between one test match 
then his next one. Mark Woods, the same. What we're finding now is I think, I don't know this for certain because I put my my outlook of it, is these guys must be bowling properly in practice and bowling meaningful and not lowering their bowling muscles and you know, not giving them a chance to, to sort of go soft and then go hard again. They are literally keeping it out at the CM all the time. So they might be resting for a longer period, but actually when they're bowling, they're bowling properly, they're bowling purposefully, they're bowling meaningfully, and there's less can go wrong because the action stays strong, it stays the same. And when they are hitting the crease and the body weight and everything that goes through it, it's inconsistent. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Not a problem. Thank you for listening. There are links to works by my guests in the show notes. Please review this show on Apple Podcasts or on any podcasting platform you have access to. This show is made possible by the people who support us on Patreon. So thank you all to those who do. If you want to hear more Red Inker episodes and you have available funds, please help us out on Patreon, which you can find the link also in the show notes. Red Inker is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston is the producer. He looks after your ears. And the theme tune is called The Prisoners by the Red Crickets. Podcast Network.